I sing because I'm happy, and I sing because I'm free. Some of us sing better than others, though, you know, <laughs> which is the absolute truth. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Brother Rick. Amen. God bless you. Bless you for being a part with us this morning. I want you to take your copy of the Scripture and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5. I have a question for you. And here's the question. What if it's all true? What if it's all true? Every word, every promise. What if it's all true? Now, I want to tell you three stories this morning. I won't be doing all the telling because they're, they're right here in your copy of Scripture, but... It's the stories of, of Jesus and a crazy man, and then Jesus and a worn-out woman, and Jesus and a daddy's little girl. And the things that happened with Jesus and those three the question comes to us today, what if it's all true? What if it really happened? And if it really happened in the lives of those folks, what does that mean for you and for me today? The, the, the song that was sung a few minutes ago, um, a line in it, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. There is a thrill that can grip your soul that comes from hope. Folks, I'm telling you, there's just so many places today where we find the opposite of hope. But in this wonderful old book, we just find bucketfuls of it. And I want you to walk with me through this section of Scripture. Now, we'll use our imagination a little bit, and we'll use mainly the printed record of what God said through Jesus, what he did through Jesus, and how it was accurately recorded by the writer Mark. But sometimes we, we read the stories of Jesus and sometimes the old English can get in the way of the, the nitty-gritty of what really was going on at that time. Sometimes we think of these stories as, and the settings of them in the sense of it being on a stage and, and there were lights and there were cameras and there were the comings and goings of actors and actresses. When the amazing thing about what goes on in the pages of Scripture is that it's incredibly ordinary. The settings are amazingly ordinary. And that's the case in the three stories that we look at this morning. 
Now in Mark chapter 5, you have to keep in mind a little bit of what happened before we ever get to chapter 5. Jesus had told the disciples, we're going to the other side. We're leaving the part of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, where Capernaum and Cana, some of those places were, and we're going to the other side. They were going to an area of the, known as the Gerizines. Well, on the way over there, Jesus, worn out from, from his, his busy day of teaching and doing whatever he was doing to, to help and encourage people, he's just worn out. And he went to sleep in the back of the boat, pillow and a bench, and Jesus just went out. They rowed into the night, perhaps had a sail set to catch some helpful wind. It's dark. The wind gets up, and the wind keeps building. And understand, they, they have no navigation system. They have no mechanized way of powering the boat. They, it was all by hand or by the wind. And so they were very, the fishermen were very aware of the weather conditions. And they, they were very aware of the height of the waves and the direction of the wind. It got so bad that night that it said basically that, that these men were terrified. They were trying to do what the Lord told them to do. <laughs> but he's asleep at the back of the boat. And they're rowing and trying to get where they're supposed to go, and then they are overwhelmed by this storm. You can find this in, in chapter 4 and, and um, in verse 38, and it, and it says that they, they, they went back to Jesus, finally because it was getting so bad, and they, and they woke him up. And they said, teacher... Don't you even care that we're perishing? Doesn't it even bother you? Doesn't it even register with you that we're about to drown? Now that was, that was the humanity of those fellows speaking in all capital letters. They had watched him feed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. They had watched him straighten out withered limbs and open blinded eyes. But in that moment, in the dark, it was as if, as if those miracles he did on other people were in the distant past. And right now, in their setting, they were in a big world of hurt. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus Roused himself, verse 39 says, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? For them in that moment, 
in spite of all the things that they had seen Jesus do and heard him speak, their ability to believe that he was still in control of what they were going through at that moment was beyond them. But he aroused himself. <laughs> Folks, I'm telling you, if this is all true, hope can just blow up in your heart right now as you hear this. He looked out into nobody's face. Nobody out there in the storm was hearing him. But he spoke something to water. And he spoke something to wind. And it obeyed what he told it to do. Folks, there are times when we need the Lord to be in charge of things that have to do with people and have to do with logical matters of control and putting structures together and systems working and so forth. But there are just some times when we need to know there is a God in heaven. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I need for him to calm a storm in the natural, bless God, he can calm the storm. Amen. Amen. What if, what if it's all true? All right, now so that, that, that gets us to the, to the landing on the bank of the of Sea of Galilee in this area of the Gerizines, as it was known. Now pick, that's where we pick up chapter 5. And they came to the other side, into the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a, with a chain because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. He's a crazy man. He was a crazy man. Not only could he not control parts of his own being, but even when other people tried to control and make something decent out of something that was indescribably profane and wild, even the compounding of other people and even the addition of chains and shackles didn't have the power to tame this wild man. Oh, goodness, folks. Since the day Alamo City was born, there have been... <laughs> There have been wild people 
that have come to this place. Do I get a witness? As some of you who are out there listening who used to be here, and you may be clothed and in your right mind now, and you're somewhere else. We remember how you showed up. But oh, the stories. Oh, the stories. Whether it was drugs or various kinds of perversion or, or the different kinds of levels of anger and resentment and, and things that come out of having been abandoned, whether it just, it just seems like it's a course that you have to pursue and, and, and nothing's going to stop you from pursuing that course and you can't quit once you head that way and have headed that way for so long you couldn't quit. But then into your life, into your life came Jesus. Jesus came after this crazy man. Amen. Jesus didn't just go after the polite side of society. Jesus didn't go, just go after the ones that were Sunday school people. Nothing wrong with being a Sunday school person. That's where I grew up. But I'm telling you, the same grace of the Lord that it takes to rescue someone who's maybe up to here in religion and behavior and, 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 and moral aptitude in a sense the same kind of grace it takes to rescue someone who may be, may be falsely righteous in their own way is the same kind of grace that it takes to rescue somebody who may just be crazy in these other areas and ways of life that we can find ourselves in. That, you know what? That's why when the Lord brings folks that have known a, a great spell of craziness in your, in your life, and, and brings you into a companionship with some other brothers and sisters in Christ who may not have walked down those, that same road that you walked down and lived that way, but they understand that you can go just as much to hell sliding off a church pew thinking that your good works and flipping God a quarter every time and doing the right stuff is, is, is the way that you get God to like you and avoiding what it takes for the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse even a Sunday school, even a preacher's sins, of the, you know, a deacon's sins. Same blood for a deacon as is required for a crazy person. Do I get a witness? You know, once that happens, once that settles in, then God's people can be made up of all kinds of different people. And I'm just here to say this morning that this crazy man that people had given up on, they couldn't control him. They, they were scared by him. And the only place he had to live was out in the, in the cemetery, out in the graveyard, in, in, the, in the caves and the cliffs where they buried people. That was the only place that he could exist. And Jesus, what, what did Jesus say? I came to seek and to save. That which was lost. It doesn't matter how lost. It doesn't matter the dimension of the lostness. Jesus Christ has the power to rescue, to find and to rescue the one who is lost. And this is such an awesome story. Jesus and a crazy man. Jesus and a crazy man. Jesus and a crazy man. Probably when the man started coming toward Jesus, dressed as he was or undressed as he was, looking as he looked, having gashed himself and, and, and unkempt and who knows what all. Very likely the disciples might have formed sort of, some sort of a protective shield around Jesus as the man came toward them. But when Jesus saw him, 
he immediately recognized that the man's problem was bigger than himself. The man's problem was because forces of darkness were driving his life. Supernatural power in the wrong direction had come to take up residence in his life. And so it says, as you read down through there, that Jesus was rebuking the evil spirit and demanding that it come out of him. Jesus understood the man's problem, and that, and some may be listening today, and it's been true of many over the years as a part of the Alamo City family. Some of the craziness that can surround a life isn't just natural. It's supernatural. And the forces of darkness will find some sort of an avenue and way into a life and will seek to try to control and ruin and destroy that life. But the real Jesus understands that until that power is overthrown, that individual is not free. And the heart of Jesus is, and the power of Jesus is to face the darkness and to rebuke the darkness and to cast the spirit of darkness out. Now we can find, you know, folks can, can fall off the wagon and they try to find a, a demon under every tortilla or find a, find a demon around every stop sign. And, that, and you know, we, we got enough problem just with our flesh and our bad want-tos, you know. The, the devil could be a million miles away and we can still get ourselves in trouble. Amen. But there are situations and settings when something is controlling us and we can't get free of it, though we would desire to. And when there is something inside you, if you're listening today, there's something that controls you instead of you controlling it, then that could very definitely be a sign where there is a place where darkness, a supernatural power has somehow gotten an ability to work on the inside of you and affect your want to and control your choices. That's where the only medicine, the only power great enough to break those lies that are controlling you is the person of Jesus Christ as evidenced in this situation. Jesus just began to, to deal with the man's real problem, which was, which was the darkness that was controlling it, it's, it's fascinating that as soon as Jesus began to address the demon of darkness or the demons within him, the demons flared up. You can read that there. Have you come to destroy us? Have you come to, 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 to cast us away, to, to bring, bring an end to our existence? Now, why is that? It's because they, had, they knew Jesus. They recognized Jesus. They had met Jesus before. They just hadn't seen him in a human form. But they had known him in heaven before Bethlehem, before Mary, before he ever came to this earth. He was the crown prince of glory. When Lucifer tried his overthrow and a third of the angels loyal to Lucifer and abandoned to the heart of God and his plan were cast out of heaven, thrown to this earth. Jesus was there when those demons became former angels. They became fallen angels. And they, they, speak, they speak of him. 
They, 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 they say, uh, what, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, do not torment me. That was the demon speaking through him in, in verse, verse number 7. They knew his name. They knew his name. And they began to ask permission from Jesus, instead of being condemned or destroyed, asking permission if they could be sent into the herd of swine that was there to, to take possession of the swine and be cast into the sea rather than them being destroyed. For reasons known only to Jesus, that's what he allowed them to do. But I got to tell you, folks, this is strategic, and this is awesome, and this is wonderful. Jesus Christ doesn't have to ask permission from anybody. He doesn't have to salute to anybody. All things that have a name are under his feet. Everything has been placed in subjection beneath the feet of Jesus. And so here we have the demon saying, Oh, could we please just, if you're forcing us out of this human body, could you just please send us over there to those hogs? He allowed it. The hogs rushed off the side of the hill, fell in the water, drowned. The herdsmen freaked out, ran back into town saying, you won't believe what's happened. The crazy man, the, 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 the graveyard guy, he's sitting down at the feet of this man named Jesus and he's sitting there like he's got a normal mind. And he's sitting there with clothes on. But in addition to that, we lost our business. All our hogs ran off a cliff and they drowned. It so stirred up the population in that area that they, they started coming out by the droves to, to see this Jesus, to see what had happened. And the amazing thing about this is they ended up being more worried about the power that it took to set the crazy man free and thinking of themselves, that kind of power, we're not sure of and, and we don't necessarily want that person named Jesus around here anymore because, because he set to, he changed this crazy man and basically we'd rather have a crazy man Scaring everybody to death in the cemetery, then we would have we would rather have him set free by a power we don't understand. Now, folks, sometimes and that's just hard to hard to get a grip on. But there can be some folks who are more comfortable with you as a crazy than they are comfortable with you as a changed, washed in the blood, adopted child of God, headed to heaven, clothed and in your right mind. Good news is when the Lord has, has done and continues to do his work of setting us free, breaking the shackles and the lies and all the things that have tormented us for so long as he continues to do that work in us, then there comes to be such a change on the inside that we desire a different set of friends. We desire a different set of relationships. And the Lord in his mercy brings them to us. That's what the church is supposed to be called. That's what we are supposed to be. The called out ones called to Jesus. And as we're called to Jesus, we're going to have relationship with each other. And we're to know each other not after the flesh, Paul would say, but to know each other after the Spirit. 
after the work of the Spirit in our lives. Well, the man wanted to stay with the disciples. He didn't want to leave and go back, go back home. He was so grateful for what the Lord had done. But the Lord said to him in verse, verse 19, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. you. Don't let them just hear from somebody else what happened to their boy or what happened to their brother or what happened to somebody who was a childhood friend. I want you to go back home and you look them in the eye and you tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown mercy on your life. Amen. Jesus and a crazy man. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you thankful that the Lord is still looking for and seeking until he finds crazy people? Now, you know, I can imagine somebody out there listening, you know, got your, got your, got your thumb on your belly, and you're listening to this, kind of looking through your eyebrows, and that. Well, you know, I guess that is good for crazy people. <laughs> Those crazy people need a Savior. Probably if somebody talked about you, big boy, they might say the man has got a crazy streak in him that I don't know that we can keep living with. I don't know what we're going to do with the man. It's a blessing when the Lord opens our eyes and we'll just own it, that there can be some places inside our hearts that we don't want to change or that we've given room for the enemy to just control. Pornography, an attitude of, of resentment and rage and unforgiveness that can just own us and carry us and dominate all the parts of our lives. But when we begin to realize there is, a, there is someone named Jesus who has the ability to set me free from the crazy places in my life. And I begin to ask him, Lord, help me. Lord, You see, the, the, the demons were driving this man, but there was also a part of him that was drawn to Jesus. It wasn't the demons who wanted to be close to Jesus. But there was something down in the heart of this captured soul that was crying out for, was longing for a freedom that the forces of darkness were never going to give him. But here comes Jesus, and it was that, it was that soul of that man, that imprisoned soul of that man that was drawn toward Jesus. And Jesus met him. And Jesus delivered him. Jesus set him free. Jesus changed his life. And from that day on, he was different. And we'll meet that crazy man in heaven. Amen. You know, and a bunch of us go on and say, you know, you're the first crazy man I ever heard about in Scripture. But I want you to know I'm your double first cousin as craziness goes. And the Lord Jesus has done and continues to do a work of setting me free. What if it's all true? What if this story is all true? What if it is that if Jesus did it then with that man, Jesus can keep doing it today and again and again and again and again? Yes. Yes. What if it's all true? Every word, every promise, what if it's all true? Well, then we come to the next one. It's a combination of the two. Jesus and a daddy's 
baby girl. And Jesus and a worn out woman. Find verse 21, Mark chapter 5. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him. And he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up to him. And upon seeing him, fell at his feet and entreated him, pled with him, begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. And he went off with him. And a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. So here, here we have this incredible swing in social, moral respectability. But within the heart of Jesus, there is no difference. The pity that was shown for the crazy man, destitute, violent, penniless, homeless, but an object of the mercy of Almighty God in his behalf is the same kind of mercy that is now finding its home, finding its target and the daughter of a man who was probably educated, who was probably well-heeled financially, a man who more than likely was greatly respected in the community and even among the religious Jewish community because you have to be elected to a position of leadership in the synagogue, not just dominated or demanded by right of your personality. Perhaps he was a businessman in the community. There are many things about this Jairus, this one of the leaders of the synagogue, that is so completely otherworldly different than the crazy man in the graveyard by the Sea of Galilee. But as far as Jesus was concerned, there was no difference between the two of them. Desperate souls needing a supernatural rescue, and he stood ready to extend it. But on the way, on the way to Jairus' house, in the middle of all of the crowd, notice this, verse 25. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she 
She came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. And immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitude pressing in on you? And you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. The disciples, a bit bewildered, if not slightly frustrated with Jesus, were supposed to answer the question, who touched you, when there are like nine million people in every direction on foot trying to get next to you. But Jesus, folks, listen, in the middle of a crowd, in the middle of perhaps hundreds or thousands of people, he was aware of the one woman, the one woman who was pressed by the desire in her heart to be well, to get well, and the, 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 the focus would be, if I, can just, if I can just touch him, I'd get well. And Jesus said, I knew I knew the moment the power left me. Well, which direction was power going? Power was going in the direction of the one whom Jesus would say, it was your faith. It was your faith. Faith to do what? Faith to just find, get close enough to touch him. It was your faith that healed you. Now, folks, I'm... I need to step out on this because somebody said, yeah, Pastor Walker's become one of those faith healers. I'll just tell you. You know what faith means? Faith comes from that word. We've been talking about this. Faith comes from a word that means to be persuaded. To be able to believe means that you have been persuaded that something is true. So in order for this woman to have faith that if she just touched him, She'd get, well, something, there had to have been some work of the Spirit in her heart persuading her that that action was what she needed to take. It was not just some random, oh, I'll try this, I'll try that. It was some other thing. No. She had a specific sense in her heart. I'm going to find him. If there's a crowd there, I'm going to take my time, but I'm going to get to him if it's the last thing I do, and when I get close enough, I'm going to touch him. Believing, having been persuaded that if she did that, healing would be the result. That's why, folks, we, we say faith is a result. Faith is not the primary mover. Faith is a result of the Lord having spoken something to your heart. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. The ability to believe, the ability to be persuaded that something is true. 
that God intends to do something, or you take this step and it will be blessed, it is a result of the Lord by His Spirit convincing you, persuading you to take the step. It may be unique to you, and no one else around you may have that sense. That's why sometimes we get into trouble by telling everybody that that moves what we believe the Lord has said. If they hadn't heard it, they won't be able to believe it. But what you have heard by the Spirit of the Lord working in your heart, then there is motivation, there is animation, there is a determination to pursue what he's put in your heart to do. So the woman, the woman responds. She, she realizes that, that, that she has been discovered. And the response that Jesus makes to her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. You go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Folks, here's, here's the, the, the place of great encouragement. Is that, is that the Lord is not looking for everybody to have a seminary degree or be able to know most of the New Testament by memory or be able to work your your way through all the major categories of systematic theology in order for him to even know your name or engage in a conversation with you. These were incredibly normal people. These were people who had the one great common denominator, and that was a desperate heart. They needed something that they couldn't provide for themselves and they turned to Jesus and Jesus met their need. What if it's all true? What if it's all true? What if it's all true? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If it was true then, it's true now. If it was true for them, it's true for you. So the woman is healed, worn out woman, worn out from paying bills, worn out from just trying to deal with a medical condition that had to have debilitated her in strength and in every other area. They continue on to Jairus' house now, but they're interrupted by a group saying, verse 35, While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official and said, your your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, said to the daddy, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official and he beheld a commotion and the people loudly weeping and wailing and and entering in. He said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died but is asleep. But they began laughing and mocking at him in so many words, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother, his own companions, and in the child's room where she was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. 
immediately they were completely astounded. Jesus and a daddy's baby girl. As he healed that daughter, as he raised that daughter from death to life, he healed that daddy's broken heart. There are ways the children, dearly loved by us as parents, there are ways that we can sense that they're approaching. If they continue the life they're leading, they can, they can be approaching death. There can be something extremely harmful and, and, and painful, and you, and you can see it and feel it and sense it. And for everyone who's ever lived any one of those days or is living them right now, what if this is true? What if this is true? To take the need of the child's rescue, even resurrection, to the Lord Jesus. Because nothing else has worked. No medicine, no doctors, no one knew how to stop this child from dying until Jesus entered the picture. Jesus and a crazy man Jesus and a worn-out woman, and Jesus and a daddy's baby girl. In each one of those places, folks, there is the expression of the heart of a loving Savior, not an already ticked-off Savior. Not one who's weighing the things, the reasons he shouldn't help against what few reasons there might be to extend help. His heart is a heart of mercy. He came to us because of the heart of God that loved this world, that had never repented, that had never built a church, that had never baptized anybody, that had never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus came to a hostile place, but he died for those whom he knew would in time. He would make a way for those who would in time put their faith and their trust in him. But he died. He died not because the world deserved it, and you and I, a part of that world, would deserve it, but he died for us and then he comes again to seek and save the lost, not because we deserve to be found, but because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. Oh, and I want to ask you to change gears and shift levels for a moment. That, that, is, that is the Jesus of the New Testament, Gospels. That is Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when we come to the Jesus described by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, where we've been the last few weeks, it is the same Jesus in heart, it is the same Jesus in compassion, but the same Jesus in a veiled form of the full power and authority that he now has on the victory side of Calvary and the empty tomb. The point 
the point of Paul's writing, as we've been trying to encourage our faith to look to the Lord for, that this could be expressed in our hearts, is that it is not enough to know with your brain that Jesus healed somebody 2,000 years ago or raised the dead 2,000 years ago, but the heart of God is for you to know the presence of that Jesus in your heart, felt in your heart and life throughout the hours, the moments of every day that you and I live. Now, I realize that when I approach this, I'm having to wade into some religion, some interpretations even of Scripture that has caused the church to go to sleep in the face of the promise of power, where we say, oh, I've heard that. Oh, I I believe Jesus died for me. I believe that he lives in me. But let me ask you a question. How can the one who was raised from the dead and was seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven and was given the name that is above every other name, that has been given authority over everything that has a name, every power, every kind of dominion and authority, and that everything has been placed in subjection underneath his feet. How can that person live in your heart and you not know it? Did I say that strong enough, clear enough? How can the exalted Christ live, live, as Paul speaks of here, really live not on the earth in general, but in your heart in particular, and you not know it. You not feel it. You not hear his voice when he would speak. You not sense his presence when he causes his presence to be felt entering the room of your heart. You got anybody that lives in your house that you don't know when they show up? You got anybody who who is in your house and would be in your house and when they speak, you don't hear them? I know there are a bunch of wives that would say, well, they don't, he doesn't hear me. <laughs> I, I try these hearing aids and I'm still, still working. I hear sounds, but I don't hear all the words Shirley speaks. But I want you to look at this. It's, it's just, is this really for real? Is this really true? What if it really is true that the plan of God, the power of the Spirit at work in your life can make Jesus so real, it's as if he is an inhabitant of your human house, but it is actually an inhabitant of the house of your heart, that you would know he's there, that you would feel his presence, that you would hear his voice, that you would enjoy his companionship. That is at the core of what the power and joy God intends for the church to experience. Not just to have a book filled with information that is enlightening, that can be encouraging, but it's like it's out there somewhere. The Lord never intended for this book to be a substitute for a dependency upon the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, to make real to us what is written here. We can underline our Bibles and still not have the power. 
We can memorize the verses and still not be experiencing the presence of Jesus making his love for us known in our hearts. So I'm not trying to fuss at anybody, but I am just trying to challenge us. Wait a minute, I got all the information. But where is the sense of the living presence, not just of the Jesus who walked as a humble human prophet, teacher, healer, way back yonder, but experiencing the presence of the one who is no longer ostracized, who is no longer limited, but the one with all authority alive in my heart. Here's here's how it is spoken in Ephesians chapter 3. A child of God, brother, sister in Jesus, no matter how old you are in the Lord, no matter where you've come from, is this happening in your heart? If it isn't, then here is the way we pray. Or to the degree that we would say, I've sensed that, I've known some of that, but what if there is more? What if there is more? What if there is more? So this is Ephesians 3. Paul prays and he says in verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, in the spirit, in the deepest part of the Christian's life. With the result being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth. But look at verse 19. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. To know, to know, not to know in your head. The, The word doesn't mean to know academically. The word used here, gnosko, means to know experientially. As a result of your experience with Christ, you know of his love for you. To know experientially the love of Christ, look, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And then look at this. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power. What power? The power, church, that works within us. To him be the glory and in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever and ever. According to the power that works within us. What? If I, I feel like I just need to snap. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wake up. So you call yourself a Christian. And we, we do. We want that. We want to know that when we die, we go to heaven. But we can live weeks at a time without the sense of the manifest presence of Jesus, encouraging us, reassuring us of our forgiveness, counseling us, speaking to us, warming our hearts. And that is what Paul would say is the goal that the Lord has for your heart and for my heart, that we would would come to experience Jesus living in our hearts, living in our hearts. What did you say? Well, but I'm already a Christian. Paul was writing to Christians. Paul was writing this to Christians. 
Paul was writing to Christians to say, it is, there is more to this than just knowing with your brain that Jesus died for you on the, on the cross. He was buried and raised again. But something more is knowing that he is living. He is living. He is living. He is alive. He's settled down in your heart, your heart. Well, who has settled down in my heart? Back to chapter 1 and the prayer in chapter 1. Here's the one who has settled down in my heart. These things are according to the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Working with the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Folks, it is that Christ, it is that exalted Christ that Paul is saying, by the power of the Spirit, God wants you to experience the presence of that Christ alive in your heart. Folks, it makes all the difference in the world. Whining, whining, complaining, a negative attitude about the world and life and future, the church and whatever, that just seems to, to, to fade, to blow up when you realize, and wait a minute, everything that's a problem to me is under his feet. Everything that I don't understand and I don't like, it's under his feet. He has all authority over everything that is, and he is alive in my heart. And when he's ready to fix it, when he's ready to change it, when he's ready to stop it, nothing will stop him from completing what is in his heart to do. Let me tell you three things, three things that the source of his living presence in us, inside of us, accomplish. The first one is this, assurance. Assurance. Knowing that Jesus truly is alive in your heart, not because you're the, you've never sinned, and not because all the parts are completed in your life, but because he's chosen you, and because you've received him, and because you know it's your, it's your purpose, it's your, it's your freedom, and you have permission to invite him to stay in your heart, felt, measurable, stay in your heart. Along with that comes the knowledge, the sense that only the Spirit can give that He must be doing that because He loves you. Not, not because you've done everything right, but in spite of the fact that we've done everything wrong, still He loves us. Still He desires us. He went to the cross to forgive us for the things that we've done that are wrong, there comes to be an assurance. Paul would say in Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now I'm speaking to some Bible scholars and maybe many Bible students this morning. You can say, well, I know every verse there is in the Bible on the subject of the love of God. My problem, preacher, is that I don't feel that I'm loved by God. 
I can take you through all of the verses that, that express the, the, the deepening revelation of love God expressed in Christ. And then on the other side of that, the fulfillment that is, that is intended for the church to experience. I can take you through all of the theological exercises and I still doubt the love of God for me. It's because it will never be a function of the brain and the physical eyes. It will be the result of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of Jesus. As Paul would say, it's as clear as this reading here. It's the Spirit of God revealing to us, showing to us what are the Spirit realities, what is the depth of Christ's love for us. It comes as a result of the Holy Spirit of Jesus flooding your heart with the sense of the love of God where it moves from your head and into your heart. And there's only one way for that transaction to take place. According to the written word, it is a function of the spirit of the living Jesus convincing you that he loves you and he'll never quit loving you. And there's no way you would exhaust the extent of his love for you. You are hopelessly lost in the sea of his love. Instead of that being some song somebody else sings, Instead of that being something, oh, I could only wish for, Paul is saying, I'm praying God will do it by his spirit in you so that you will be unshakable in the sense of assurance that you have. Assurance, assurance as a result of the source, knowing that Christ is at home in my heart. The second one is authority. Authority. It doesn't mean that ones who walk with the sense of the presence of Jesus alive in them, run around making ridiculous commands and trying to boss the world. But it does mean that when you understand the one who has all authority is living in your chest, that he's at home in your heart, you don't have to be buffaloed, freaked out by every negative, threatening whatever that can come across your way. Because you can understand there's nothing in this universe that's going to come loose until Jesus says to the atoms he commanded to hold together until the command comes from Jesus to let it go. There is an authority. There is an authority. You know what it's like to be around people who have authority. It can be a spiritual gift, some say, of authority. You just know you can't push them very far. You can just kind of know you just need to shut up and not say too much because there's something deep in them. It's not all surface. It's not all shallow. They don't have to spend all the time turning the air blue with their comments. There is a settled resonance within their hearts of knowing who they are because of the one who lives in them. I love the stories of businessmen, businesswomen, people writing and saying, and, they, and, it, and it happens, folks, it's happening. Strong, godly business people in settings that are completely secular writing to say, Pastor, the Lord's helping me to know that. I'm sitting in a board meeting. I'm sitting in some sort of a strategy session. But as I'm listening to all of that, I'm also sensing there's somebody next to me. They can't see him, but I know he's there. His name is Jesus. And so I can find myself at times just 
though I'm physically present, stepping back into the spiritual presence of the king. I've had him say, he's given me ideas that I never had until I heard the problem. He's given me ideas and solutions that no one has thought about. It can be strategic. It can be amending something. It can be something brand new. But the living presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has no lack of knowledge in any field, if he's alive in you, if he's at home in you, and you know how to hear his voice, and he knows that you'll listen when you speak, What an awesome tool in the hand of God, in the workplace, or wherever the field would be where he places you, you can be. The last thing, so there's assurance, there's authority. The third one is this, there's, there's daring, daring, D-A-R-I-N-G. You, you can become dangerous. You, you can become a person that folks who have known you to be extremely normal and very predictable as the presence of Almighty, the Almighty Christ settles into your heart and He dwells in you. And it's just as natural to follow His prompting, even more natural than to follow any natural prompting because you're used to hearing His voice. You're used to sensing His presence and the things that he may lead you to do and direct you to do it may seem to make no natural sense. It may seem to be against all odds. Maybe something to speak, maybe something to write, maybe something to pursue, maybe something to do. But listen to this. this is, what if it's all true, folks? What if it's all true? What if it's all true? Not just for them back then, but for us right now. What if it's all true and it's meant for you and it's meant for me? Listen, this is, this is Ephesians 3, verse 20. We'll stop here. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Stop. Is that not a blow your hat in the creek state? He's able to do Exceeding beyond anything in your wildest imaginations you can come up with. But the next step, the next part is even more of a blow away. According to the power that works within us. Where is that power coming from? (laughs) That power is coming from the one who is at home in our hearts. The exalted Christ alive inside us enabling us to do the things that we could never have been able to think or do on our own. Amen. What if it's all true? Here's here's the plan. Here's just, I'm praying. This is, I'm not trying to fuss at anybody, but I am trying to challenge our thinking. 
What if we're settling for so much stinking less than what God has in mind for us? Panicking about everything. Worried about this. Frightened by that. Confused by the other. Running around like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, by his spirit, wants us to know we are a sheep and we have a shepherd. His name is Jesus and his desire by his spirit is to fill your heart up with the felt, I'm saying that again, felt, felt, felt presence of Jesus. Not just the academic knowledge, oh, God is everywhere, so God has to be here. That's not what Paul is saying, or he never would have written it like this. He's talking about the kind of presence that you would know, that you would feel, that would affect you because of the might, the sheer might of its nearness. We'll stop there. The rest is in your hands to pray, Lord, would you do it? And it's a process. It's a growth throughout our lives. Lord, more, more, please, more of an understanding of who you are, more of an awareness of your presence in my life. I'm da- I'm just, I want to dare you. Folks going to work in the morning. I want to dare you to just, Lord, I, I, if this is really, if this is all true, then I'm asking you to let me know your felt presence in my life as I go to work. I'm going to leave you with the Bible on the the nightstand next to my bed. I'm asking you, Lord, if this is really true, that you will cause me to know your presence while I go to work, while I am at work, while I'm in the middle of conversations with folks who may not know you or who may know you, that I just want to know if this is true, your presence. It will change you. It will rock your world. And you'll never turn back. You will never turn back. You'll never turn back. You'll never turn back. You'll never turn. Can I say that again? You will never turn back. When you have tasted of the sense of his presence. Now, today, right now, here. Living his life out through you. I want you to pray with me. And, and I, I want to just encourage Pastor Walker, alamocity.org. If you, if you want to email us a prayer request, we are getting many of them. And we have a wonderful and expanding team of intercessors here at Alamo City who are taking very seriously your prayer requests. We would love to hear from you. You can do it right now. You can email that to us um, now or as, as you have a chance to in, in the coming hours and hours and days. And I, and I just must say... I, Folks, I must say, those of you who have been prompted by the Spirit of the Lord to help us as you've prayed for us, also as you have given financially to to help support. There are people hearing this who don't have the money to be able to get it to them. or It would would fall short, but because of your faithfulness, we're able to get these words of hope out literally to places where there is such a desperate need for the hope that is in Christ to be found. So bless you and thank you. And our prayer is that for every nickel you send this way, God will multiply it a thousand times back in your direction as you do what he prompts you to do. Now, Lord, in this moment, as we close this time, we, I'm just thanking you. 
I'm thanking you for what is written in your word. Thank you, Lord, for the stories. That old song, tell me the story of Jesus. Right on my heart, every word. Lord, may it be. Thank you for the reminder of, of how you have helped people then as promise of how you help us and will help us now. But then, Lord, I'm asking that those of your people that you are beckoning, you are beckoning, take this as true. Receive this as a promise from me. Ask me to fill you with my spirit so that there will be a sense of my presence, living, living, dwelling, living at home in your heart by faith. Oh, Lord, grant it, please. And for those who are hearing this and just from the outside looking in, Lord, please, please let this simple cry rise up in their hearts. Jesus, save me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, save me. Honor those cries, and I know you will, Lord, and thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for staying with us as long as you have. We have a closing song. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor.